Any good to see that many kids? If you have your Bible, if you'll turn with me to Galatians chapter 1. As you're turning there, I want to welcome you to First Baptist Eichard this morning. Uh, if you're visiting with us, uh, very glad that you're here. Uh, the people around you may realize that you are our guest. I would have no clue. Uh, this is my second Sunday here, and I know probably about as many names as you do. So uh, feel good about that and feel welcome that you're not the the only one uh, going through that, but we are glad that you're here, uh, glad that you came uh, to be with us this morning, and uh, we just pray that God would bless you uh, while you're here. Uh, if we can uh, help you in any way, hope you'll see me, or uh, there are a lot of people here with name tags on. Uh, you can go see one of them and get information about our church or there uh, where you came in at the doors. We are in Galatians chapter 1, and we're going to begin in verse 11 in just a moment. Last week, we started this book and we considered what Paul says when he lays out for the church, the church is in the region of Galatia, that, that there is no other good news except that which comes from Jesus. That, that anything else, any other way that someone would tell you that you can get to God is it's false. He says there that there is no other gospel. Well, this week, as we look at this passage, and it's a rather lengthy passage, but um, Paul begins to talk about his life and how someone who is looking from the outside in at what has happened in his life uh, could see that the gospel... When it is preached into someone's life, when it enters into someone's life, when God, through Christ, saves someone from their sin and saves them to a relationship with Him, that the gospel is very transforming. And that's an important distinction from, from a message that just changes someone. We'll talk about that as we go through Galatians chapter 1, beginning in verse 11. And I would invite you, if you'd like to this morning, to stand with me as we read God's Word. Galatians chapter 1, beginning in verse 11, Paul writes, For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my father. But when he who had set me apart before I was born... And who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. In what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Sicilia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They were only hearing it said, He who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaimed among the Gentiles, in order to make sure that I was not running or had not run in vain. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. 
Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in, who, who slipped into spy out our freedom that we have in Jesus Christ, so that they might bring us into slavery, to them we did not yield in submission even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. And from those who seemed influential, what they, meant, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, for he, wa- for he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to, to the circumcised worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me, that we should go to the Gentiles as they to the circumcised. Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. Would you pray with me real quick? Heavenly Father, God, we ask that today you would give us your grace and mercy, that you would bless your word, God, let each one of us in this time seek to know you. God, let us seek your face. Lord, remove me out of the way. Let your word speak. God, we know it is true. We know it is good. And God, we pray that we are challenged as we consider how your gospel transforms this morning. And I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. As I mentioned, we talked last week about how exclusive the gospel is. There is no other. This morning, I want us to look and see that when the gospel is present, when the gospel is being proclaimed, when the gospel is being heard, when the people of God are allowing the gospel to come in and transform their hearts and their minds, Transformation is taking place. Paul, throughout this entire thing that I read, has has the Galatians to consider what his life once was and now consider who he is in Christ. But he also wants them to consider how they got there. How he went from being someone who is persecuting the church If you know the story from the book of Acts, Paul is walking on the road to Damascus. He is going to a new place where he can persecute the people of God, where he can persecute the children of God. He is going to go there and probably put believers in Christ to death. That's who he was. That was his job. And he believed that that was a good thing. He thought that he was doing a good thing for God by going and putting to death those people who followed after Jesus. Because he believed that they were departing from the truth. They were were disobeying God. They were following some man. And yet on that road to Damascus, God met him. Jesus appeared to him and his life was radically changed transformed. He was no longer the person who persecuted the church, who was a devout Jew who studied the things of the law constantly. But he went from that to someone who began preaching the gospel to Gentiles. As a Pharisee of Pharisees, which is how Paul describes himself, he would not even have a relationship with the Gentiles. He would not have a relationship with someone who was not part of God's chosen people, the nation of Israel. And he went from that to preaching to the Gentile. I want us to look this morning at three things about the transformation of the gospel. The first is the fact that transformation is a gracious gift from God. The second is that it is a complete and perfect work. And the third is that it unifies and bridges differences. The first, transformation is a gracious gift from God. 
Paul had no reason to follow after Christ. If we look at his life and everything that he is doing, there is no reason. And Paul lays that out. He says, listen, what happened to me could not have come from someone else. What happened to me could not have come as a result of the preaching of men. Look in verse 11. He says, the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. He said, I did not receive it from any man. I was not taught it, in verse 12, but received it through a revelation from Christ. He's on his way to persecute the church. If you, I like to put it like this. For the last 10 years, I guess almost 12 now, our country has been at war. September 11th, 2001, between 8 and 9 o'clock in the morning, a group of radical people who look very different than us, who believe very different than us, went to war with our country. Very quickly, we all became extremely familiar with the name Osama bin Laden. We knew it, right? You know what he looked like, right? You saw his picture on the news all the time. See, Paul made such a transformation that it it would almost be like a soldier who was going to find bin Laden, joining bin Laden. Think about how radical that would be, and it's happened in the last 10 years. We've, we've seen that, where members of our own country have turned their back and went to fight for our enemy. The very ones who Paul was seeking to destroy, he became. The one, who was, he, the one he was going to fight against, he began to fight for. Why did this happen? Well, because the gospel transformed Paul. If you look in verse 15, he lays out what happened. He says, He, meaning God, but He who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by His grace. He says, first thing that happened is that God had set me apart. Now, Paul would have thought, I had been set apart to to do this very righteous thing of being this great and, and very influential Jew. But... What he didn't know until he was walking on that road is that God had set him apart to preach the gospel. He said he set me apart and then, look, he called me by his grace. Paul didn't figure out one day, you know what, I'm making a mistake. I I need to do better. I think that's what you and I like to think of with our religious experience so often is that one day we were walking along through life and something dawned on us in our head, hey, we need to get our act together. I think about people uh, that I grew up with, and some of them, when I see the life they're living now, I wonder, why have they not grown up? Like, I'm 29 years old. To some of you, that's old, like some of you over here. But then maybe on this side, that's not as old. And here in the middle... We're kind of in good company, I guess. I didn't notice how that was laid out till right now. <laughs> but I wonder sometimes, 29 years old, 30 years old, it's kind of time to start growing up, right? Except if you're David Gregg, apparently. <laughs> I mean, those things that you did when you were a kid, maybe you could do a little better now. You know, you, you want to go out and get a job. It's, it's maybe time to get off mom's couch at 29, 30 years old. It's, it's about that time. But what I forget about people sometimes is that, that really, we're not very good at changing ourselves. We're, we're not really that good at making ourselves better. Like, how many of you have started very short diets? I have. I do it each and every Monday. I'm going to do better this week. My wife knows what I'm talking about. I've ate so many salads on Monday and had that milkshake on Tuesday. 
It is difficult for us to change us. But Paul, when he looks at his life, and listen, he did a lot more than start a diet. He looked at what had went on in his life and he said, I didn't do this. I had nothing that would draw God to me. As a matter of fact, I was going to persecute his people. And yet God showed me his grace. And once God showed his grace, what did he do? He revealed the Son to Paul. Think about this. It's an amazing thing. It wasn't just an angel that appeared to Paul on that road to Damascus. An angel would have been awesome. Like if an angel showed up right now with something to say, I'd sit down and listen. Now, if he preached a different gospel we learned last week, he would be accursed, and many of us would take him out and beat him. That would be impressive, too. Paul says, God showed me his grace, and he revealed to me his son. See, through the Son, through Jesus Christ, transformation takes place. And when Paul saw Jesus on that road, his life was altered. He didn't do it himself. And so if you're here this morning and you think, well, okay, I need to do better, you're probably right. We all need to do better. But when we try to do it ourselves, it does not work. He goes on, 18 through 22, he, he talks about having contact with some of the important religious leaders, but what he realizes is he was not saved through those leaders. We are not saved based on who we pray with. You know, if you pray with me, it doesn't stick better than if you pray with Fred or with David Gregg. That one probably didn't stick. You asked for it. (laughs) It is so very important that we realize that our salvation, our relationship with God comes from God and not from anything I say, anything I get you to say, anything I get you to think. It comes through a relationship with Christ. Look, he was very zealous for the traditions of his fathers, he says there. I was very zealous. I really loved to follow after the traditions of man and the traditions of my faith. He said, but now I'm zealous for the gospel. Now my life has been transformed and I didn't put stock in everyone else. He says, I once persecuted, now I preach. It's obvious the transformation that's taken place. See, all the man-centered religions of this world, what they really offer you is change. A couple years ago, I had one of those Monday diets. And it lasted a while. Like months. And like I was hitting the Bowflex every day. I was eating salads like I was a cow. I mean, just, just going crazy. And, and I was dropping weight like crazy. I had to go buy new suits. It was, it was awesome. But what I finally realized one day when I slipped up, and I don't remember if it was a milkshake or a glass of sweet tea. It was one or the other. It could have been both in the same meal. It might have been one of those hard Mondays after preaching to a bunch of Baptists. It could have been Sunday after church. But I remembered how much I really love chocolate milkshakes and sweet tea. I can get an amen there because some of you like (laughs) chocolate milkshakes and sweet tea. And so I started drinking sweet tea and chocolate milkshakes. And then there was candy bars and then there became pastas and pizzas and not just slices of pizzas there became pizzas (laughs) and what I realized at that point is my mindset had not changed as much as I liked being 50 pounds less of me I liked tea and chocolate a lot more so 
you do not get to see the results of the Bowflex and the bicycle. Why? Well, because I had tried to change myself. And when it comes to your weight, let me tell you, that's all you got. We're not talking about the gospel transformation of weight loss. That's not in the Bible. I can't give it to you. I'm sorry. You should eat better, I guess. But what he realized, Paul does, is that everything in this world that has been based on the teachings of man is not based on grace, but is based on our work. So what I see now is if I continue to eat and be lazy, I'm going to gain weight. Because there's nothing taking place. It's all based on what I do. Now, if one day I woke up and I was being lazy and I'd eaten and I'd lost a bunch of weight, there would be a concern, right? Something's going on. I'm, my body is sick. I've got to go to the doctor because that's not the way it works. But that's how grace is. Grace says that you can't do it. You are not good enough. As a matter of fact, you are very bad. But God says, it's okay, I'll take care of it. It's okay, I'll, I'll come in and transform you. So we look around, I think, sometimes, and we see people who, who are very good. You know, we would label them as good, and they do good things. There are plenty of wealthy people who have no love for God, but they, they give lots of money to charity, and they really help out people. That's because they're doing works. But what God says to us is that I'm going to take you, who cannot get it on your own, who cannot make it on your own, and I'm going to transform you into my image. I'm going to take you from looking like you do, from righteousness like filthy rags, and I'm going to make you into what I've always planned. I'm going to make you into what I set you apart from before you were born. I'm going to make you that by my grace. See, I'm unable to live perfectly, and yet God changes my heart through Christ. God changes my life through Christ. And when I try to do it on my own, it might be like that diet. And for six or eight months, I was dedicated. I was lifting every day. I was riding that bike. I was eating good. But then one day I slipped up. And that was it. That's what happens when we try to do it on our own. And so the transformation that takes place through the gospel is by grace. It's also complete. If we can get through the grace part, and I think a lot of us get hung up on that, because we know ourselves better than anyone else. We know our hearts. And when we hear about grace, we're kind of like, I don't know, how could God love me? How could God do it through grace? What, don't I need to have some skin in the game? Don't I need to be part one of the players? Don't I need to be a part of this? Don't I need to do something? But if we can get past the grace, if we can, if we can wrap our minds around that as, as best we can wrap our minds around grace, I think then we struggle with understanding that transformation, when, when God transforms us, it is complete and perfect. Look what he does. Verse 1 of chapter 2, he says, Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. It takes him 14 years to go back again. Paul's transformational process took a while. Now, it was, and you need to understand it like this, when God saves us, we are completely saved. There is no working up to more salvation. But you and I also know that we are a work in progress, that God is molding us and shaping us as we go through our lives. So it takes Paul 14 years before he really gets out and gets going in ministry. There was a lot there that he had to deal with. A lot. And so he goes to Jerusalem, and he's going to go meet with these fellows that are there, the guys that we all know from Jesus' disciples. We see Peter, and we see John, 
Um, we see them there, and they are leading the church in Jerusalem, and they are still primarily preaching to a Jewish audience. And so he goes to them, and he shares with them what has happened in his life. He shares with them about what God has done with him and what God has done in him sharing the gospel to the Gentiles. And he says there he, he goes to make sure that he is not running in vain. He is not running, and that he has not run. Now, he knows that his, the gospel that he's proclaimed is the truth. He knows that it is what God has called him to. He knows that it's what God has used to change his heart. But he wants to make sure that, that the church is not dividing. There, there's not a Jewish church in Jerusalem and a Gentile church everywhere else. There is the church. And he wants to find out if that's the case. And, and he does. He says that they don't add anything to what he is doing. They, they see that he has been given the grace of God. And they give him the right hand of fellowship in verse 9. Even Titus, who is with him, is not forced to be circumcised because it's not necessary for transformation. They welcome Titus in. And again, you and I don't, I don't think we can understand that, that tension because I assume most of us in here, if not all, are, are Gentiles and most everybody we know are Gentiles. I don't know that many Jewish folk. We, we don't have that that tension, but they did. And they welcome Titus in, and they don't, they don't ask him to do anything. They don't ask him to be anything different than what he is to be a part of the fellowship. There's even those who come in, and they slip in to spy out their freedom. He says, but they we don't follow them. We don't, we don't listen to them. We don't let them have influence over us. For your benefit. Well, why did they not do those things? Why did he not come and submit to those leaders to get more information? Why did he not come and listen to those false teachers who are trying to spy out his freedom? Why did Titus not come and, and be circumcised to be like the rest of them who were there? Well, it's because the transformation that had taken place in Paul's life, in Titus's life, in Peter's life, in John's life, it was perfect. There, there wasn't anything else to do. There, there wasn't any more. See, there's not the gospel and. There, there's not the gospel and circumcision. There's not the gospel and giving in to leaders. There's not the gospel and being open-minded to people that you disagree with. There's, there's the gospel and there's nothing else. There's, there's nothing after it. There's nothing to tag on. There's nothing to put with it. And that's exactly what Paul understood. The transformation from the gospel is perfect. Look at what Paul says when he talks about those who are trying to, to spy out his freedom. He, he says they are coming in in verse 4, so that they might bring us into slavery. See, Paul talks about sin being a master and sin owning us. Sin making us do whatever it wants. That's what's so funny to me sometimes about people who say, well, I don't want anything to do with church. I don't want anything to do with religion. I don't want anything to do with God. I want to determine my own life. Because when I look at them, what I see is that they have no control at all. That sin has so grabbed them and held on to them and enslaved them that they have nothing. They think, yeah, you know, I get to do whatever I want. I get to be whatever, where, wherever I want. I, I don't have to listen to anybody. I don't have to deal with anybody telling me that what I'm doing is wrong or they don't like what I'm doing. And what they don't realize is they are slaves to sin. And yet Christ offers to be a new master. A master whose yoke is easy and burden is light. 
Someone is going to rule over you. Something is going to rule your life. And it can either be the creator of the universe who made you in his image, or it can be sin and disobedience to him. There is no middle ground. There is no place where you and I have control. And so Paul sees as they want to come in and add things back to the gospel, what they are doing is wanting to put him back in slavery to sin. They want to take him away from the freedom that he has in Christ and put him under the burden and weight of the law and sin. And Paul says, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that for you, churches. In Galatia, I don't want to do that for myself. I want us to be free. The gospel completely transforms, and we do not need the approval of a person or a group. You do not have to have my stamp of approval or someone else's stamp of approval to come to Christ. He bids you to come. And if I get in the way of that, He will take care of the problem. We don't have to conform to the preferences of other people. This is a gracious gift. It's perfect and complete. We as believers, if you're here this morning and you know Christ, we should guard ourselves against trying to put the gospel and on other people. We should guard ourselves against trying to put things on others that become a burden and enslave them instead of showing them the freedom of Christ. And if you're here this morning and you don't know Him, He bids you to come to freedom. He says it is gracious. It is perfect. You don't have to bring anything else. You also don't have to leave anything else because He will unshackle you from those burdens. You can't take them off of your life and then come to Christ. You've got to come to Him dragging them along and He removes them. He makes them perfect. Not you. Because again, when we try to do it ourselves, we will fail. We'll look good for a while, but I've put that weight right back on. Thirdly, transformation unifies and bridges differences. Paul says that those who are influential... And there are names that we know. James, the brother of Jesus. Cephas, which is also Peter. And John. He says they added nothing. When he told them what had happened in verse 6, they added nothing. Now they would be the ones that you would think if you hear about these false teachers and you hear about these Jewish Christians who were coming in and trying to distort the gospel. These would be the guys who you would think would do it. Listen, Paul met Jesus on the road to Damascus. James was his brother. I mean, can you imagine? Your brother is without sin. Every time you tell mom he did it, she knows you're lying. Because he didn't do it. Jesus didn't push you down. Jesus didn't take your candy. Jesus didn't do it. Peter, at the end of the Gospel of John, is restored to fellowship. John wrote John. He wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. He is given the revelation of Jesus on the island of Patmos. He is called the one whom Jesus loved. And yet Paul says that these guys, when he went and met with them, and he told them what he had been preaching, he told them about the gospel to the Gentiles, they added nothing. They did not desire to cause division. Now, we will see next week that Peter does slip into that, and it causes a problem. But right here, they add nothing. On the contrary, they extend to him the right hand of fellowship. They see that Paul has been entrusted with the gospel to the Gentiles. 
Paul understands in verse 8 why that is true. He says, For he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. He sees the reason they can be together and have fellowship is because they're both serving the same God who has brought them together for the sake of the gospel. Paul has a ministry to the Gentiles. They have a ministry to the Jews. And when they see the grace of Christ in Paul, they're excited about what God's doing. They know his story. And they have seen the transformation. And when they witness what God has done in his life, it brings them together. It bridges their differences. Paul's hanging out with a bunch of Gentiles. He's hanging out with a bunch of sinners. Now you would think Peter, James, and John would see somebody hanging out with sinners and it would ring a bell. There was this guy that they spent three plus years with who always hung out with sinners. He spent a lot of time with them. But they don't always catch it. Nothing's new. They missed it a lot when Jesus hung out with sinners. But they extend the right hand of fellowship and their differences are bridged. I think you and I as believers often let our differences stand in the way of fellowship. This is not due to the differences. This is so often due to the lack of transformation in our life. It's easy to be angry and bitter toward other believers. It's easy to look at others and say, they don't do it like I do. They don't act like I want them to act. Listen, there are differences that matter. We can go back and look earlier at verses 4 and 5 and we see where those false brothers are coming in and they're trying to move them back to slavery and those are things that matter. But you and I often do not have differences with others over things that matter. If you have a theological dispute, that's impressive. I'm glad you think theologically enough to have a dispute with someone about theology. But our disputes are about carpet. The theological concept of carpet. It's a very high and lofty, lifted up in the, scriptural, the scripture's context, carpet. We fight about music. We fight about dress code. We fight about whether Fess's gravy is thick enough or not. I haven't because I'll eat it all day. But someone would. You know, you know, Baptist people, that that could happen. And yet Paul looks at these men who are different than he is. And he says, we have been brought together by the gospel. Our lives have been transformed by the gospel. He doesn't go to them to need their approval or they're okay to do something. He goes to them seeking to bridge differences. In this moment, what we may see here is the bridging of the church that made it possible that we are still one unified church in Christ. And you say, we've got a lot of denominations and Protestants and Catholics. Yes, I understand, but if this had not happened, it could be much worse but they go and they are able to fellowship because the gospel has bridged their differences. The gospel should unify us. It should unify believers together. It should unify us for the work of the ministry. It should unify us against the work of the evil one. It should unify us in the power of God. It should unify us in worship. It should unify us in spirit and in truth. You want unity, it's about the gospel. It's not about us trying to work together. Well, let me tolerate you enough so that we can make this work. No, it's about seeing that our common goal is the gospel of Christ. Our common goal is the fact that there are thousands of people in our community today who do not know Christ. 
And if they were to die today, they would enter eternity with no hope. That sounds like something that can unify. It unifies us that God sent His Son to die in our place. That we had fallen into sin. Our relationship with God was not existent. Was non-existent. I'll get that right in a second. We had no hope. We had nothing. And God sent Christ. It seems a little more important than carpet and colors and gravy thickness. The gospel, when it invades our life, it transforms our heart. And it brings us together. And if you say, well, I don't like this person. I don't like that person. They probably don't like you. You've got something in common. A place you can start from. (laughs) Is your dislike of that person more important than the message of the gospel? I don't like what you're doing, or I don't like what this person is doing. Is it more important than the gospel. If we will allow the gospel to invade our heart and invade our mind, if God is transforming our heart, we're not going to be that concerned about the other stuff. Let them go do their pity party thing over here. Let them go do this or that. I'm going to be focused like a laser on the gospel. It's a gracious gift that God gives us. It's gracious because we could not earn it. We had no way of receiving it. But when God sends His gracious work into us, it brings us together. If we as a church struggle with unity We have a problem with the gospel. If we will get to that, it will always bring us together. There is good news, and it comes through Christ. In Him, we are reconciled to God. In Him, we have a relationship. And Paul can look at his life, and he can say, Listen, here is the evidence. If you want to see the evidence of a transformed life, Look at mine. Look at what God has done for me. And so many of us in this room would be able to say, look at my life. Look what God has done. I could not do it on my own. I had no hope. I had nothing to offer God. And He has brought me to this place. God has dramatically changed Paul, and God has so dramatically changed many of us. But if we ever think... It's of our own doing. And we're going to struggle. This morning, some of you are here and you you don't know Christ. In In a room this size, there are probably many. Maybe you've tried it on your own. If you have, then you kind of know what I'm talking about when you say, when I say you can't do it. If you've tried it on your own, you kind of understand what it means when, when I say, I, you can't do it on your own. And you might look around you and you see people who seem to have their lives together and you go, you know, those are pretty good church people. I bet, I bet they work really hard at it. But if, if they're honest with themselves, they go, no, it's just, it's just God's grace in my life. They'll probably tell you, I messed up just like you are. I have struggles just like you do. I have, I have conflict in my family. I have conflict with my children. I have to deal with the financial burdens of this world. I, I have to deal with the changing culture around me, and I struggle. But, but God, but God has transformed me. This morning, if you're here and you're trying it on your own, why don't you stop? I mean, just, just stop trying to do it on your own. It's not going to make a lot of difference. If you're trying on your own, not trying on your own, it's going to be kind of the same result. Well, what, about, what about turning to the one who made you and say, 
I can't, but you can. I, I can't do it, but God, I know that through Christ, my life can be transformed. It's not going to be perfect tomorrow. It's not going to be perfect a week from now. It's, got, it's not going to be perfect until somebody is standing here doing your funeral. And yet God, from this point today, if you would give your life to him, would, would begin to transform you. He would begin to make you into his image. When you went through that struggle, you could realize that God's there caring you. You know, before, you had to drag yourself along. You had to pull yourself. You had to, to walk on your own. You had to crawl on your own. But, but God's there. And that doesn't mean the difficulty's not ahead. It doesn't mean that you're not going to go through struggles. But it, it does mean that he's there. If you're here this morning and you don't know him, his call to you is to do this. To turn from trying to do it yourself and to believe that he can. To turn from your sin, which is when we say we know better than God. And saying, God, th this is my life. You lead it. God, you're the one who has made a way. God, you're the one who has provided for me. God, will, will you lead my life? Bring your burdens with you. You can't leave them where you're at. Because you're going to get caught up trying to take them off and you're never going to make it. For the rest of you who are here this morning, and you know Christ, you, you know him. I mean, you, you know when he saved you. You know when he, he reached out and called your name. When you realized that before you were born, he had a plan for you. When he revealed his son to you. Do you feel like your life is transformed? Do you, feel, do you feel like your life is being transformed, that God is making you into his image? Because if not, and I know that we so often get to that point where we, we just we can't feel it, where, where we don't know it, we're, we're just burdened by it. God, God, why aren't you doing more in my life? God, why aren't you leading my life? Listen, this morning, what, he, what he's calling us to is to realize that he's at work, to, to call out to him afresh and anew, God, take my life and lead me. God, take my life and make it into yours. We don't, we don't need anything else. It's a, it's a perfect work. It's a, it's a grace-driven work. It's a unifying work. A lot of times we, we just got to let him take it. We got to stop trying to do it ourselves. God, God, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get this one. All right, God, you handle this, and I, I'm, this little piece here that I need to work on, I'm going to take care of it. It doesn't work like that. If you're here this morning and you know Christ, but you, you need a fresh touch of that transformation. In just a few minutes, we're going to sing. You're going to have an invitation to come and pray or pray where you're at. Imagine what God will do for our church if we're crying out for transformation. If we're crying out that God would transform our heart and life. If we are seeking after His love and His grace. If the gospel is what drives us. If it's what is in our heart and on our mind. If it's what's on our lips. Imagine what God is going to do. It's hard to imagine. Because it will be so great. I, I promise it would take us by surprise. It would remind us of his goodness so this morning if you don't know him there's no transformation there's nothing there's just you just you trying to do it but if we cry out to him he'll lead us he'll call us he'll show us his love if that's you this morning Don't you want to know what it's like? Not have to, to do it on your own. Not have to, to struggle with it and, and, and feel inadequate, but to feel the love of Christ. Will you bow your heads with me as we pray? Heavenly Father, God, we, we need you. God, we, we need our lives to be radically transformed. 
The good news of the Gospel changes us. It makes us into your image. It transforms us from dead to alive. It transforms us from darkness to light. God, we pray that this morning as we have this time where we can respond to your word, God, that we would listen. God, there are people who don't know you who are struggling because they, they have no hope. They, they, they may not even realize the direction they're going in. God, call them. And God, there are many here who, God, they know you. They love you. But God, they, they need the gospel to continue to transform them. They need the gospel to to be on their heart and in their mind. God, the, the false teachers of this world have come in and tried to convince them of this or that and tried to pull them in this direction or that. But God, in this moment, in the quietness of this time, would you speak afresh into their heart? God, help them to see that their life God, their life means so much to you. And that, God, your desire is that they would focus on you. That they would not turn to the left or to the right, but they would focus on you. And that, Lord God, you would lead them. God, I pray for broken hearts. God, I pray that you would just take us and God, use us for your glory. God, help us to be obedient. Help us to follow you. And God, I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. This morning as we sing, would you come? Would you come and cry out that God would transform your heart? That he would transform our church? That he would have us focused on the gospel? As we sing. I hope, uh, hope this morning that you have considered how important it is that we are made new. What we were before and what we are now in Christ are not the same. We still have that sin that entangles us and ensnares us and harms us. But we, we're not like we once were. The world would love to draw us back in. The world wants us to act like them. But what we must realize is we have a message that will change the world. A message that has changed the world. And a message that will continue to do so. I hope you'll pray this week that God would show you each and every day how he's transforming your life. How he's making you new. How he is putting his image in. How he is making you like Christ. Seek after him this week. Pray that he would do that. And I pray that as you do, God will show that to you. And he'll richly bless. For our announcements uh, this week, uh, our servant of the week is uh, Brother Ned Beck. Uh, he's going to be here anyway come uh, the 8th and 9th, so uh, you might as well give him a call, and uh, I'm sure Brother Ned, I've known Ned a long time, he's a good listener, and he's got a heart for people, and uh, if you need him, trust me, you can call him this week. Uh, my wife is sick at home, but she wanted me to remind all the men folk, please bring your drills uh, next week, not so that we can do surgery on one another, but that we can do surgery uh, on the uh, racks for the consignment sale which will be uh, March 14th through the 16th. Uh,
co-signer registrations are accepted now. Uh, see Kim Atkins uh, if you need to do that. Um, also, uh, it's been mentioned that uh, the ACC tournament, for those of you who are going to the women's ACC tournament, that meeting, uh, y'all are going to meet next Saturday morning at 7 o'clock, and they'll leave out uh, from here. Also, the monthly meeting for uh, Women on Mission is today at 5 o'clock. Uh, ladies, bring an item for our cheer bag. Guys know nothing about that, trust me. Um, also, again, uh, youth fun, uh, if you need tickets, uh, Brother Mike's standing back there with his box. He's ready to go. I know that I've been reprimanded by my principal for uh, putting that out, but uh, some things are, are worth getting in trouble for Jesus for. So uh, just see Brother Mike. And the North Carolina Missions Conference on April 5th and 6th, uh, if you want to register for that, uh, just see Fess Brown. Ned, speaking of our Servant of the Week. This is the last Sunday before the barbecue. It's a big thing for the youth every year. We use to raise a lot of money for youth camp and whatever else they see fit to use it for for the youth. Uh, starting this week, Thursday afternoon, we will be transforming the CLC from a CLC slash sanctuary to a serving line. So I need people here to start setting up for the serving line Thursday afternoon also. We also will be starting to cook the meat and everything. That is also, if you have desserts, people, please fix desserts and bring desserts. They love homemade desserts with their barbecue. So by Thursday evening, if you can bring those by and drop them off, we will start boxing up the desserts and getting them ready to take out for Friday also for the deliveries. So anybody, youth, Thursday night, see all youth here Thursday night to help get things set up and get things rolling. Uh, a lot of work to be done Thursday to get ready for Friday. And the ones that have been volunteered for Friday, we will be calling you this week and uh, letting you know what start time. If you Thursday evening, we'll start 6 o'clock, 5.30-ish, 6 o'clock, something like that. If you come at 5.30 nobody's here, hold on. I'm on my way. I will be here as quick as I can get here. So swing 5.30 and 6, we're going to start Thursday evening. As soon as we can get everything set up and get the desserts and everything packaged, then most of us can go. I don't know how long. I hope it don't take all night. But and we, and Where's Alan at? You got food? Some of it? Well, we'll feed the ones that are here working uh, Thursday night also. So don't worry about a meal. We will feed you at night here Thursday night too. Uh, Pastor, where are you at, Pastor? Right here. Don't go on a diet this week. We're having barbecue this week. <laughs> All right. So <laughs> you'll get plenty of food to eat this week. If you've not mentioned barbecue to anybody and everybody that you know, it's $7 a plate. They do not have to buy a ticket. We will sell them when they come. But sell all you can sell and tell everybody you see to come and eat here. Sometimes it never ends. We are going to have a business meeting Wednesday the 6th. There is information on the greeter stands at each side. If uh, you'd like to get that, I'd, I'd wish you would. Look over it, pray over it, uh, help us decide who's going to lead the church. We understand that, that God is the head, Dr. Michael is our under-shepherd, but it's your responsibility to step up. Not only for the positions that's on that paper, but we need teachers we need people to look after the kids. We need help on Sunday nights. We need prayer partners. There's not anyone in this church that we can't find something to do. There's people that are not using their giftedness right now. And the rest of your brothers and sisters are paying the price for it. So pick up one of those papers, pray hard for the next couple of days, come on in Wednesday night, let's make a few decisions about what the future of First Baptist Sacred is going to be. Let's see where God is taking us. Because I'm going to tell you, He's been super faithful to us. In a time where we had an end term, we got one very quickly. We called a pastor and half the time it took us last time. Tell me that's not gifts from God. 
So pray hard. Write names on that piece of paper and give them to us. So we can pray harder and we can figure out who among us are going to stand with us and see the direction that God's leading us. You're dismissed the light groups.